Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. What a great day to be uh, here in church. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus, those in our South campus. You know, recently somebody said, oh, we're the G-Town campus. I said, what does G stand for? He said, we're the Groovy campus. I said, really, the Groovy campus? So welcome to the Groovy folks in Grovetown. But, you know, they're not going to be outdone. Dolores at South campus told me, said, hey, Pastor Marty, you have other campuses, but South Campus is the coolest campus. So I'd like to welcome the cool folks down from South Augusta. Uh, and all of you, especially those watching online, too, as we continue our series on how to read the Bible. Somebody said earlier today, I said, Pastor Marty, what's up with the necktie and the, the coat? And you don't normally do that. I said, well, I kind of do. I, I wear a coat and tie on Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, baby dedications, weddings, and funerals, okay? That's, that's my, my flow. And uh, today, I actually have a um, baby dedication, wedding, and a funeral, so I got a trifecta today. But here's another reason. I always wear it when my wife tells me to wear it. Y'all do that? You need to be wearing this. Don't need to be looking sloppy. You got to wear it. And so when she said, it kind of reminds me of the day in heaven where God called all the men out and said, okay, guys, he said, I want you to form two lines. This line over here are all the men who allowed the women to lead and be the head of the household. And then all the men over here, you're the ones that you led the household. So after a while, they looked down and the men who allowed the women to lead, their line was about a hundred miles long. And there's only one guy over here where the man led the household. And God said, what's up with that? I, I, called you to be, I called you to be leaders in the home. And he looked over to this guy and said, you tell them why you're, sitting, why you're standing in this line. He said, sir, I'm sorry. I'm standing here because my wife told me that I need to be in this line. <laughs> yes, amen. Well, I hope your wife tells you to read the Bible. Boom, that's my transition. Uh, we're moving in, continuing our series on how to read the Bible. Today's uh, sermon and this series is based on a couple of verses from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 and verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so over the next few minutes, I just want to be very, very practical. It's going to be extremely practical today. In fact, some of you will feel like you're in a lab session because it's going to be that practical. And we're just going to open up the Bible and explain it to you and give you some ideas on how to study a Bible passage. See, there's a difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. You say, well, what's the difference? It's simple. You read the Bible, you just read it. You study the Bible, you have a notepad and a pen with you, and you write down what God speaks to you or what you see or questions. So that's, in essence, the difference. Uh, so let's just dive in it. How do you study a Bible passage? 
Here's the very first thing. I want you to get a Bible that you understand. Get a Bible that you understand. There's a lot of different translations out there. And sometimes when, if you're new to um, reading the Bible, you may scratch your head and say, which one do I get? I went to the bookstore, went to Barnes and Noble, and there's so many there. Which one do I choose? Well, here's just some differences. You know, you may be one of the folks that you really like a poetical style. And if that's you, I would say pick the King James Version of the Bible. Or maybe you want a more modern version. I would say lean toward the New International Version or maybe even like the Contemporary English or maybe the New Living Translation. So here's an example of that. Let's look at a very famous passage of Scripture, Psalm chapter 23. And I'm going to read it in three different translations here. So, said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, many of you, if you're like me, probably when you're a kid, you may have memorized uh, Psalm chapter 23, and some of you probably memorized it from that version the King James Version. How many? Anybody memorize that when you are a kid? Okay. Uh, This is the home team here. Um, Let's read it from the New International Version. How is this going to be different? It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Okay? New Living Translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green pastures, and he leads me beside peaceful streams, and he renews my strength, and he guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. So all of those passages say, in essence, the same thing. It's the message. It's the word of God to us. But there are some of you that you gravitate toward one translation or another. And what I'm saying to you is find a version of the Bible that when you read it, you get it, you understand it. And I want you to do that. I want you to open it up. Here's the second thing. I want you to develop a reading plan. I don't want the book just to sit on your dresser and and collect dust. I want you to actually pick it up and read it. Figure out a plan. Carve out a few minutes a day and read the Bible. We have a plan on um, our website at stephenscreekchurch.com. If you scroll to the bottom, there's One Year Bible. And if you click on that, it'll give you a um, some verses from the Old Testament, verses from the New Testament, a psalm and a proverb. And it will also give you an opportunity to hear the audio version. If you do that every day, you'll read through the entire Bible in one year. So just develop some kind of a plan. So when we think about this, let me reiterate something I said in our first week. This is the Bible, and the Bible has two sections in it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament begins with God. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 and 1. We flip over to the New Testament. The New Testament begins with Jesus. 
It says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So those are the two sections. Let's zero in. And when you look at the Old Testament, oftentimes it is pretty in-depth and it could be somewhat overwhelming. And what I've discovered through the years with any project, let's say you're working on a project at home right now, and this project is overwhelming. Maybe you're just moved and you're unpacking boxes and you're trying to decorate your house. Here's what I would say to you. Break it down into uh, manageable sections. And I would say the same thing with uh, the Bible. When we look at the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament is broken down into five different sections. The very first one is called the Law or the Torah. It has five books in it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of um, the Old Testament. Now, let's think about just Genesis, okay? So what is Genesis about? Here's the cliff notes. Some of you are in school. Man, you love the cliff notes of version, don't you? Say, so just give it to me and give it to me quick. And maybe I can pass the test if I just read the cliff notes. Well, here's the cliff notes for the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 through 11, this deals with the creation. It deals with the flood and the development of races. And then we see in chapters 12 through 50, it focuses on the lives of four men. Four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. There it is. That's the Cliff Notes version of Genesis. Then we move to the second section of the Old Testament. It deals with the historical books. Now, this begins with Joshua, and it goes through Esther. Now, these historical books focus on the history of Israel's journey from the promised land to the Babylonian captivity. In fact, this span of history developed over 1,100 years. So the second section of the Bible is about all about the history over an 1,100-year period. Then we move into the books of poetry. Now, the books of poetry are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you look at the word Job, it is spelled like we would pronounce the word Job. It is J-O-B, so just understand that. And Psalms is Psalms. So many times people read quickly and call it palms, but it's not that. And so just understand that these are, are poetry books. Um, and uh, we love so many of the Psalms. That's why we quote Psalm chapter 23. We just love that. We love the poetry and the prose of it all. We move to the next section is the major prophets. Now, the major prophets are five books. But these five books focus on four men, the major prophets, who are the majors, okay? Who are playing in the majors? The major league is this, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, what's their message? Re come back to God. Repent. Come back to God. Return to the Lord. And then there's a section of 12 books called the minors, the minor prophets. This goes from Hosea to Malachi. Now, they're minor prophets, not because their message is any less important. They're minor prophets just because their message is, is short. It's smaller books. They have the same message, come back to God. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe the reason you are in this service is you just need to hear those words. 
I want you to come back to God. You have drifted away. You are drifted away, and, and you need to turn around, and you need to come back to the Lord. That's the message of the major and minor prophets, because God knows that we have this tendency to drift. We have this tendency to wander. And so there comes a point where we've got to recognize the error of our ways and say, I don't want to live like this any longer. I want a better life. And if that's you, if you want a better life, I want you to turn around. God has a plan for your life. He has a better life for you. You may not understand it all, but that is when you turn around and say, God, I am trusting you, and I am believing that you are going to lead me to a better life. And that's the Old Testament. Now we pick up the pages of the New Testament. What do we know about that? The New Testament has four sections in it, four sections. The first one's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now these four guys wrote the story of Jesus. These were eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus. They watched his ministry. They participated in his ministry. And they wrote from their perspective. So it is the same story, but there's some different nuances in each of the writings because their audiences were different. So the first four books are the Gospels. Then you've got a history book. One history book in the New Testament. This is called the Acts of the Apostles. And this uh, talks about the history of the church uh, during the first century, right after the resurrection of Jesus and uh, as the church started to spread uh, after the resurrection. Then we moved uh, to a group called the Epistles. Now, the Epistles, epistle means letters, okay? Okay. Some people feel like the epistles are the wives of the apostles, but that's not the case at all. It's just a letter. There are actually 21 of these letters, 21. Seven of them were written by the apostle Paul. Excuse me, 14 were written by the apostle Paul. Seven were general epistles. Now, what are their purpose? Their purpose is to encourage proper relationships in the church. So here's how you need to live. Here's some things you need to stay away from. Here's what you need to do over. You need to be nice to people. You know, some basic stuff. Here's how do you encourage proper relationships. Proper relationships for local churches. And then the final book is a book of prophecy. It's a book of the revelation. It is the revelation. Here's just a little side note. Um, it's, ne- it's not the book of revelations. And so if you ever add an S to that book, that's incorrect. But give grace to people who do that because I might slip up and do that sometime. So let's turn to the book of Revelations. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all didn't even catch that. You've got to stay with me. The reason I say it's without the S because there is one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus and he's coming back. And so it's a book of prophecy. It teaches us the things to come. But let me say this, the Bible will not help you unless you read it. The Bible will not help you unless you read it. Now, it looks good on your coffee table, um, but it's much better in your heart. And so the Bible's not going to help you unless you read it. So let's say you read it. As you read it, there's a couple of questions that, that you need to ask yourself as you're studying a passage 
from the Bible. Ask yourself, oh, what does this say? What is this really saying? Because some of you are tempted like I am. You, you want to read through the chapter so you can check it off and say, I read that chapter. But I've got to tell myself, okay, let's pause and let's slow down and say, what does this say? And then you say, well, really, what does that mean? I don't know if I get what it means or, or what, what am I going to do about it? And so you start to write down your thoughts on those verses and just write down whatever you see. Now, as you open the Bible, there are some things that I want you to look for as you read. There are some things. First of all, I want you to look for things that are emphasized. Look for things that are emphasized. Let's just start off by how much space is given to this particular topic. You know, oftentimes there'll be major amounts of space given to a certain topic. For instance, in the book of Matthew, there are 1,062 verses. Do you realize that 342 of those verses in the book of Matthew are the speeches of Jesus? Now, when I was a kid, my home church gave me a Bible um, in Sunday school, and when I opened up that particular Bible and I looked to the book of Matthew, all the speeches of Jesus were printed in red. It was called a red-letter uh, edition of the Bible. Anybody have ever seen a red-letter edition of the Bible? Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So we see here 342 verses in the book of Matthew are the speeches. They're part of the red letter uh, edition of Matthew. So when you ask that, so what is this writer trying to emphasize? What is the purpose of the book? We can see like the book of Proverbs, it's, their purpose is told very clear in Proverbs 1 for attaining wisdom and discipline, for acquiring a prudent life and, and understanding what's just and, and fair and so forth. Uh, Solomon was just up front, said, this is why I'm writing. And you start to see his style of writing and other writers and you see the order that they write it in. So you at this point are saying, okay, what are those things that are emphasized? Now, here's the second thing. I want you to look for those things that are repeated. Look for those things that are repeated. Um, we have several school teachers in the church. Any school teachers in this? Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. I see that hand all over this place. You'll give $1,000 and you'll give 1000 Just kidding. School teachers know this, that kids learn by repetition. So you say it over and over. My goodness, parents know that. I mean, moms, how many times have I told, I've told, if I've told you this one time, I've told you a hundred times, would you please do whatever that is, right? And so we know people learn best by repetition over and over. So look for those things that are repeated. Uh, when Jesus, uh, seven different times in, the, in um, Jesus's ministry, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Let him hear. And so he repeated that over and over. How about this? The book of Psalms, chapter 136. If you look at the chapter 136 of the book of Psalms, you'll see these words, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. It is quoted 26 different times. Okay, so apparently 
the writer is trying to get you to understand something. What is he trying to get you to understand? His love endures forever. And maybe that's what you need to hear. That when you feel all alone, that God loves you and his love endures forever. When you're under stress, when you feel like that your world is fading away, that you need to be reminded that God's love is present and he loves you and it will endure forever. And maybe that's why you came today. Maybe you're at a place of loneliness. Maybe you're at a place of despair. Maybe you just need to hear these words that God loves you. Hear that. God loves you. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And God's love endures forever. So don't lose hope. So as you study the Bible, you're going to look for things that are repeated over and over. Love endures forever. Here's the third thing. You're going to look for things that are related. Now, you, you do this by looking at things. How are they connected? Here's an example of that. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Abraham. He had a son named Isaac who took him up on the mountain, and he felt prompted by the Lord to sacrifice his son Isaac. As he's getting ready to do that, God said, no, I just needed to see you're willing Uh, But there is a lamb, there's a ram in the thicket, and uh, God provided the lamb to be sacrificed. Okay, that's the Old Testament. Do you realize that the New Testament, when Jesus came, John said, look, there's the lamb of God. And so he's right there tying this story of Jesus back to Abraham's story. And then we see how the lamb of God, Jesus, was sacrificed on the cross. So those two stories are connected. And over and over, you will see stories that connect it. If you're interested in the second coming of Jesus, you can read about it in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. And then like a thousand years after Daniel wrote that, Matthew wrote about it in chapter 24 and 25. And then you've got the book of Revelation. Those three different places, even though they're written hundreds and hundreds of years apart, they're connected. So you start to say, okay, what things in the Bible are related? Think about that. Now, to help you understand that, you need a concordance. Now, when I graduated high school, my pastor uh, gave me a graduation gift, and his gift to me was a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. This book was like this thick, and I'm telling you this, uh, this long. It was the biggest book in my library, and in that book, it had all of the words of the Bible. For instance, like if you wanted to look up how many times God dealt with forgiveness, you'll turn to forgiveness, and it'll have every scripture that uses the word forgiveness. And so I would do that. Or if you want to look at uh, business, or you want to look at success, you want to look at love, you can go to the, open up the concordance and go uh, and find that. But thank the Lord, through the gift of technology, you don't have to have a big book anymore. You can just go online, go to BibleGateway.com, go to YouVersion.com, and just put in the word that you're interested in. And maybe it is uh, forgiveness. Maybe it's redemption. And you type that word, and you'll see over the pages of every scripture that uses that word. And that tool will help you to understand how things are related. Here's the fourth thing. As you study the Bible... 
I want you to look for those things that are alike. But also I want you to look for those things that are different. Look for the things that are alike and look for the things that are different. Um, Just maybe the writer is using comparison to get you to go deeper. Sometimes writers use similes or metaphors to try to paint a picture in your mind because if you can see this picture in your mind, then maybe you can understand it practically in your heart. Here's an example. In Psalm chapter 42, verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, when you read these verses, there's an image that's created and an atmosphere. This writer compares this longing for God. Oh, I'm just longing to be in God's presence. And he's using that that image of a deer that's thirsty and longing to drink water. So he is using that um, very common experience where the people that, that would read his writings are very familiar with uh, deer and how they would long for water. And so he just used that analogy. So it's good to things, it's good to look at things and examine the metaphors. Example, here's an example of that. Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The writer is comparing God to a shepherd. Just as a shepherd takes care of the sheep, God is going to take care of you. So we see the Lord, when I read that and I think about it, the Lord, that means he is over everything. That means he has all authority and all power. He is the Lord. He is my. That is a personal pronoun. This is not talking about something out in the distant, but he is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes care of the sheep. So I am reminded that God who is in charge of everything, God who owns it all, is my supplier, is my provider, is the one who's going to take care of me. And some of you need to hear that today. That you need to understand that God is your shepherd. He's yours. And that thing that is keeping you up at night, that thing that causes you to worry and to fret, I want you to give it over to him because he is going to take care of you. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So you start to look for things that are alike and look for things that are different. Look for metaphors. And so here's the fifth one. I want you to look for things that can be applied to your life. I want you to bring it home. Be close. Those things that are speaking to you. And so what does this passage say to you? How does it speak to you? And so... When you, I believe that when you pick up the Bible, you have to understand that this, this word is as fresh as this morning's Augusta Chronicle or the AugustaNewsPress.com. You go there for breaking news, and so this is fresh. This is a fresh bread, a fresh word. So you say, okay, what does this verse say to me in my situation? 
What does it say to you? What is this verse saying? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it say to your family life? A shepherd is a protector. He will protect you. And some of you, like us, we are worried about our families. We're concerned about our families. We need to be reminded that God is not only our provider, but God is our protector. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And so we are reminded, though, that, uh, that God is there protecting us. And some of you need to be reminded of that because you're living in fear And you're worried. Hear this message. God is here to protect you, to see you through this. So what does this verse say in our church? What does it say to our church family? What does it say in your work? And so you start to think about this. And you look at at this verse and you say, God, how can I apply it? And then I want you to put God's word into practice. It says, James chapter 1 says this, don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We must not only listen, but just do it. And you're saying, Marty, I don't know what to do, honestly. I am in a situation where I am overwhelmed. I'm saying to you today, break it into small pieces And I want you to do the next right thing. This this challenge at work, I want you to do the next right thing. You're not going to handle all of this thing uh, overnight. In fact, you didn't get in this mess overnight, and you're not going to get out of it overnight. But I want you to do the next right thing. And that may mean that that you're going to call somebody. You're going to send somebody a text. That may mean that you're going to work through this challenging situation. Just do the next right thing. That's how you put God's Word into practice. Over the next few minutes, part of this process that we put it into practice, we, I just want you to say this, God, speak to me. God, speak to me through your word. Speak to me in this service. Over the last several days, college students at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, have been praying that prayer, God, speak to us. And there's been a unique move of God on their campus. In fact, their chapel service that began on February the 8th is still going on. At the conclusion of that chapel service, the choir sung, and then there was a closing prayer. And then the people who were praying there stayed praying there. And they continued to pray throughout the day and into the night and the next day and the next day. And it was like the fires of this revival started to spread at Asbury University. People were being saved. People were being healed. Uh, People had demons cast out of them. And it's very interesting. This news started to spread on social media. And at other campuses, they said, if God can do that, In Asbury, why can't God do that here? And so we see groups at Lee University went to the chapel and they started praying. Groups at Sanford University started praying. 
And throughout these colleges across America, groups have come together to pray and to seek God. Got a text message from one of the professors at Lee University yesterday. He said, Marty, I've been on staff for over 20 years, and I have never seen a move of God on our campus like this in 20 years. Patty and I were watching uh, Tucker Carlson, I think Wednesday night. And uh, Tucker did a story on this revival. I'm thinking, man, that is strange. They're doing a story on this revival. And so the next night, it was interesting that he brought the story back up. And I thought that was really interesting. Then I, I leaned in. He said, the reason I'm bringing this up is that we had made plans to take our camera crew to Wilmore, Kentucky on Friday and tape this and interview students who are experiencing this revival. And when the university heard that, they called Fox News and said, please do not come. And Tucker said, that surprised us because most people, they want the spotlight. But what Asbury said is we want the spotlight to be on Jesus and we don't want anything else but that. For this revival was not built around a personality or a, a, an evangelist or a singing group. This revival was built around a sincere heart for the Word of God to come alive and for lives to be changed. And what we're seeing across America now is that this revival is burning in the college campuses at places across our country. You know, if you ever study revivals, you will know that great moves of God, like that of John and Charles Wesley, you'll see great moves of God started on college campuses. And it moved along with the young people. And what's our response to this? I believe that there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is another great awakening. The Bible does tell us that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Could this be a sign that there's a great revival coming? Could this be another awakening like we saw the, the great awakening in our, in our country's history? Here's what we know. Our nation is in peril. Our nation is confused. That the enemy has come in and brought confusion through our government, confusion in our political parties. We are seeing Issues develop that we're scratching our head. How could this be accurate? And, and why are there so many train derailments? And why are there balloons flying in the sky that have question marks on it? And why is this weird stuff happening with genders and, and all of this craziness? And it's in this place of confusion that we need the Word of God to come and bring clarity. We need the Word of God to speak life into us and to give us hope. We need a revival. 
not just a series of services, but we need a genuine move of God where we say, God, speak to us. God, flow through us. And I pray that it begins in the student ministry and the college ministry here at Stevens Creek Church. I pray that our middle school and high school students will be touched by the power and the presence of the Lord. I pray that it flows over to Augusta University and touches that campus. God, let that revival start here and be it in our community, in our town. Now, I realize that there are a group of you that you're just saying, Marty, I just came here because I was promised we could go out to lunch after church. I'm not even into all this God and Jesus and revival stuff. I just don't even know about all that. And here's what I would say to you, like I say frequently, just come back next week. And you got questions, you got doubts, that's okay. Just, Stevens Creek is a safe place for that. But I'm going to add one statement to that or one phrase to that. I want you to come back next week, but between now and next week, I want you to, to say this. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. And so those of you that are, that are seeking and you're trying to investigate this God and Jesus thing and this revival and all this kind of stuff, just say that. Say, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And just pray that. I pray that it's prayers like that that we'll see an awakening in our hearts. And some of you are here today and you're longing for that touch because you feel like that your life has been stalled out and you're just stuck and you've done everything you can know to do to get unstuck but you're stuck I believe that there is a power that is greater than yourself and I'm going to pray today that that power would be released on you and would be made real to you that your life can be changed that just as hundreds, thousands of college students across America are being touched and changed by the power of God, you, right where you are, your life can be changed today. And I pray that God will be real to you. So what is it that you need from the Lord today? We're going to pray, and we're going to say, God, speak to me. God, release your presence on me. God, give me your presence and give me your power. Let your word come alive. Let's stand together here at our Grovetown campus, our South campus. Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord. And I'm going to pray over you, and I, I want you to approach this prayer with those words. God, speak to me. God, make yourself real to me. God, let your presence come. And maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you need 
a healing in your body. Maybe you're standing in the gap for somebody who is suffering, who has lost their way. And so I want you to focus your attention on that need and say, God, I'm giving this need to you. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our church. I pray that your presence would rest on us. I pray, God, that your presence would bring your power and that we would see visibly your movement in the lives of people here listening to this message. Meaning, God, I ask that you'd save people right now. If you're not saved, say, God, save me. God, forgive me of my sins. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. Just cry out to the Lord. For those of you that have drifted away, just say, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. God, accept me. Cleanse me. Save me. Father, I pray right now for those that are stuck that you would release the power of your spirit, that you would start opening doors that they were to walk through, and God, that they would get out of this place that they have been stuck in, and they'll walk in a new place, in a new anointing, in new life, in a new hope, in a new joy, in a new strength. Father, I pray that a, a wave of healing would flow, that people who have problems in their back would start to feel better, that people who have problems in their stomach would start to feel better, people that are suffering from cancer and from disease, that they would start to turn and be better. Come, Lord, move upon this place. And Father, we pray this simple prayer that we receive, say this, say, God, I receive what you have for me. I want you to say that again. Say, God, I receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, and amen. God bless you today. I hope you have a great week. We're going to complete this uh, series next Sunday, so I look forward to seeing you then. Invite somebody, bring them with you. And this week, pray for revival at Stevens Creek. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.